To, to quote Homer Simpson, those that can lead to some dizzying highs and terrifying lows. Seen from them do last year, and when I think we'll see them do this year, they'll eat money if it means getting a better return. He he taught me a brand new phrase. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> I figured I would leave it for you. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 106, where we're still waiting on our all-star vote tallies. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski. Uh, I won't even tell you what position I'm an all-star at. And uh, I'm joined tonight by Josh Housem. Josh? I guess I can't get all-star votes because I'm a pitcher. Oh, that sucks, man. And uh, we are also, of course, joined by uh, what uh, Nick Dyka, who I assume is a shortstop. <laughs> uh, back in high school, <laughs> yeah, like everyone else. <laughs> exactly, everybody's a shortstop at some point. Um, if you, you know, aren't a left fielder like I was. But anyway, we're here to talk not about our illustrious careers. We're here to talk about this week in what happened with the Blue Jays. So all of that sweeping that the Blue Jays were doing, uh, getting swept as well, that ended today with a win over the Braves after a loss to the Braves uh, but it was a good week overall so we're gonna go into that a bit uh, where we made the Nationals look bad uh, we got Marco Estrada who keeps improving we have Randall Grichuk who came back totally to life in the last couple weeks so he's worth a, a few uh, a few minutes of our time Marcus Stroman will be coming back hasn't quite yet but uh, we've got a, a date set for that and we've got trade talk lots and lots of trade talk because uh, ultimately I, th I think we're going to find out that we all think the Jays should be trading some people away um, in preparation for next year we have your questions and then we're going to uh, award um, something new leave that for a surprise for later so we shall begin Josh H how did you feel after uh, a, a weekend sweeping the Nationals w was that at, at all expected from you <laughs> was it expected I mean if you listen to our podcast last week when we was it you threw odds on the no hitter from Max Scherzer yes I did yes I did uh, so no it was not expected <laughs> but it was it was fun to see I mean, you know they they beat and you know there were legitimate wins all three of them a team that's supposed to be a playoff team so it's kind of fun it hasn't happened much this year yeah, it was kind of weird because in that, that Scherzer game, um, it really was a, a pitching duel in a lot of ways, which I I, I was like, okay, that's that's like the opposite of, of what I was expecting. Um, and, and the Blue Jays have proven that they don't, you know, they, they don't, that doesn't set any precedent. They went and got killed by the Braves in the first game against them. So what do we make of it? it, it is there anything to draw from that, Nick? Well, I mean, I think the thing to draw from it is that it's just entertaining baseball. And I think you're right that, you know, they did get killed by the Braves. And I don't think it means that the season is on the precipice of turning around or anything like that. But uh, it's just better as a fan of even a struggling team to watch good baseball games as opposed to, you know, blowout games like the one last night against Atlanta. Indeed. Uh, the sweep streak was kind of a weird thing. Get swept by New York, sweep Baltimore, yeah. get swept by Tampa, Tampa, and then 
sweep the nationals i <laughs> i don't remember that sequence of of you know getting swept and being swept regardless in maybe the last 10 years of watching the blue jays anything like that oh it was bizarre i don't think you'll find that with most teams it's that weird up and down but i think it's just the flukiness of baseball and i don't think we're gonna see it again this season or at least i hope not because it's really strange (laughs) it's a bit too much um we get to say nice things about marco estrada again in that mix uh which is all right so what nice things would you like to focus on josh it's funny so last week we were talking about marco estrada's rise coming back in his previous two starts it went away again (laughs) in the start against washington it was under 12 inches and he absolutely dominated the Nats. And one of the big things he was doing in that game was he was throwing a lot more breaking balls. So it's I think that what we might be seeing if this, you know, again, this is something we have to see a few more starts to see if it's a true trend. But when he has his big time fastball, you know, the one we're talking about with the, the high rise and the one that gets all those pop ups, he's going to throw more of the of the four seamer, which he did against Baltimore or throw more cutters against the Yankees. But when he gets in these situations where it's not there, he'll go to more breaking balls because, you know, to counteract it. And I think that that's kind of neat that they did something like that. It's like, oh, he doesn't have that today. Let's go to something else. Do you think that's something that um, that he can feel? Or would you guess that that's something that the catcher might be coming out to him between innings and saying, look, man, when it's when I'm trying to get it, it, it doesn't have that action on it that, that you think it has? I don't think there's even a conversation because uh, just from what Marco Estrada has said to me personally, he doesn't have anything to do with his pitch mix. He just throws whatever the catcher calls. So I mean, it's are... possible they, they between innings they could say, "Hey, you know what? We're going to go with a little more of these just so he's aware of it." But in general, it's, you know, if the catcher sees that this is not going to be working right, just starts throwing up some different pitches, and Estrada will throw them. So, which catcher was it who who worked the extra breaking balls last start? Was it Melee or? Um... Was it Martin? Not sure. I'll check that quickly because I was playing during that game. That was the game I remember I was, I was saying I really wanted to go to, but I couldn't. I just, that'll be interesting to watch if uh, both catchers have the same approach over time mm-hmm. or if it's one who's noticing it more than the other or, or acting on that more than the other. Um, yeah, and this is sort of the thing that we saw with him, and it was mainly, by the way, but this is the sort of thing we saw with him with having his personal Diana Navarro catcher for a long time, right? Yeah. I feel like Nick, we, we've left Nick out of this entirely. <laughs> hey, Nick had his chance to talk about Estrada too much that time when I wasn't here. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm sure you did not like what I had to say either. So. <laughs> Truth hurts sometimes. That's all it is. That's, that's all so, yeah, it is. I've been harsh on the guy this, time, this season a bit too. So, so yeah, the question, well, I guess, for, for Nick is, does this mean Marco Estrada now has trade value? Because you could argue that's like four starts in a row where he has been um, above average. Right. And so while you guys were talking, I actually did a quick little split search of uh, pitchers uh, since June 1st. And Estrada is, I think, fifth or sixth in ERA at 1.45. But I mean, just very quickly, uh, other pitchers with ERAs under two in that span, Tyler Skaggs, Zach Eflin, Mike Montgomery, Tyler Molly. Um, it is a very small uh, stretch of starts. And, and I think That's that true. I'm hopeful. 
I'm hopeful that he's turning it around, but I think given how much he's struggled the last year and a half, it'd be nice to see some more uh, positive performance. And I think probably other teams are going to need to probably see more than, than just the four starts too. Uh, it's actually only three. Right. Yeah. He got shelled by Boston in the start before that, but no, I, I agree with that. That's what I was saying. We have to see a few more starts to see if there's actually a trend to this because you know, I, before I thought it was just the rising fastball being back was going to think that matters, but then he threw six and two thirds shutout against the the Nats. So I don't know. Like like you said, it's just he's going to. I think that his trade value is not going to change unless he goes into July with a good string. So uh, a fun yeah. thing for me, they lit up Ryan Madsen for the, uh, I believe the only two homers he's given up this year. Is that? Yep. Yeah, and then they immediately traded for a closer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the Blue Jays had some influence on something. That's that's my conclusion. Uh, if if nothing else, they changed the playoff picture by uh, by forcing the Nationals' hand in the bullpen. The Nationals trade for a reliever every single year because they have a problem reliever every single year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if if you're Ryan Madsen at this point, are you just having nightmares about facing the Toronto Blue Jays? <laughs> Do you remember what he was like when he was just a dominant reliever for the Royals and every time he'd come in to face the Blue Jays, he'd get crushed. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's a mental thing or maybe it is by now. It could be. Uh, so other players who we, we are looking at uh, just to celebrate you know, a, a good couple of weeks. Randall Grichuk comes to the top of my list. I, I actually opened up a stats page, Josh, during the podcast. Does that does that mm-hmm. seem right? <laughs> yeah. Last two weeks, Randall Grichuk's uh, WRC plus, or uh, you know, basically his his above league average is two thirty five. That's slugging, pretty good. Yeah, he's slugging seven eighty four. That's not his OPS. Oof. No, that's his slugging. His OPS is uh, <laughs> almost thirteen hundred. Wow. Yeah, and his his actual season OPS is up to seven eighteen. He's now officially in the positive wins above replacement category. Oh, there you go. Almost one win in the last two weeks, according to Fangraphs. So, yeah. By the way, just quickly going back to Madsen because I just pulled up the stats we were talking about. The second highest OPS of any team against him in his career in the regular season is 868 for the Red Sox. For the Blue Jays, it's 1,005. <laughs> they own him. Uh, that was a strange game, the 8 6 game, um, to say the least. Nobody. Nobody could figure out how to hold off anybody um, or let anyone get out to that much of a lead. Uh, that That's the yeah. kind of game I think I miss in baseball. And I know there were a lot of home runs in that game. But that sort of back and forth, you didn't know what was going to happen. And our boy Randall Grichuk, who you were just talking about, had a great game. Yeah. Was that the two-homer game for him? Yep. Yeah. So, it, it's... Grichuk, obviously... Do you think he was hurt at the beginning of the year, Nick, and didn't want to tell anybody? I honestly think this is just kind of the kind of swings that come with his his kind of profile. You know, he he hits the ball hard, but he swings and misses a lot. And you know, to to quote Homer Simpson, those that can lead to some dizzying highs and terrifying lows as <laughs> as a hitter. Um, so I I honestly think this is kind of well within the range of of Randall Grichuk outcomes that that we can expect. Yeah, and I would agree with that too because you know, in this direction since he's come off the DL he's striking out 19.8% of the time and that's 
frankly, just low for him and is low for what he's always been. So just when he's happening to hit the ball, he's, as you said, because he hits the ball so hard, he's going to put up great numbers. And then he's going to, it's like Kevin Pillar with power is basically what this is. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Kevin Pillar's last two weeks while we, while we tread over there? Can you just make like a horrible sound, like an emoji or something? Or not emoji, but a, you know what I'm saying. Just a fart noise or something. Kevin Pillar in the last two weeks has not walked. He's the only player with any significant number of uh, plate appearances who has not walked. Um, he's hitting 224, 224, 388. Good enough for a 60 WRC+. plus. That's your everyday center fielder. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this, right? It's this idea that his hot start was... There was nothing different about it. He was doing everything exactly the same. Chase rates, launch angle, everything. But he just happened to hitting a few more barrels. And now his season OPS is 705 which is right where it is for his career. Yeah, he's he's just another example of a, a hitter who's kind of like staying true to kind of his career norms, right? And there's ups and downs with, with his profile too based on you know, when he can barrel and when he can't. So are you putting your best outfield out there every day with the impending return of Steve Pierce, let's say, to keep Pilar in center? No. Randall Grishik should be the everyday center fielder when Steve Pierce returns. They won't do that. But, uh, I mean, Kevin Pillar, we've saw some examples of this this week. His defense has slipped noticeably. Yep. We, we saw signs of regression last year, but this year it's significant. He's, you know, D, DRS is zero. He's a completely neutral center fielder. And, you know, if you're going to have a 285 on base, you better be a plus defender in center. And he's just not that anymore. So the the best outfield is Grichuk in center, Hernandez, as much as it's a bit of a circus, back to right, and then the two guys with no arms, platoon in left, Pierce and Granderson, right? <laughs> it would be a little <laughs> ugly at times. But <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to get the, the runs out of this lineup, if that's still your aim as, as John Gibbons, I think that's, you know, that's the bullet you'll have to bite in telling Pilar he's not an everyday player anymore. But I think you're right. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, this is actually a curious one. I'll, I'll let you handle this one, Nick. But, you know, Pierce coming back will create something of a logjam. They already have a playing time issue now with Grichuk back and then uh, Hernandez and Granderson and left. And Kendris Morales, who in, in the last month has hit, he's been really, really good. He's 333, 360, 519, so an 879 OPS over the last month. So if he's hitting like that and then Pierce comes back, what would you do, Nick? Or what do you think they'll do? Yeah, it's it's hard. What what I think they're going to do is I think maybe just kind of shuffle in uh, Pierce into the kind of like the DH mix and kind of ease him back slowly because he has been out for a long time. Um, but what I would do is, I mean, again, it's easy for me to say I'm not I'm not in there, but Pilar does feel to me like the the guy who's. He's struggling to to put up the same value the other outfielders are, and he's also probably going to be one who's not going to be on the next good Blue Jays team, right? Because he's already in arbitration. They have more control over guys like um, guys like Grichuk, and and you've got to play guys like Granderson and Pierce in case somebody's going to want to trade for them. So that's what I would do, but I think ultimately they're just kind of kind of ease Pierce back slowly and uh, and kind of hope that the pieces something else happens that makes life easier on them. For some reason, I thought he was actually in his walk year. 
Who is this? Pilar. No, no, he just hit his first arbitration season. Really? Yeah. Okay. My bad. Same way back there in 2013, but my bad. Uh, yeah. So I mean, you, I can see him as a non-tender candidate for sure. Uh, the other guy coming back. We talked about Steve Pierce coming back. Marcus Stroman is coming back. We are going to see him against the Angels. What does that mean for the rotation, Nick? <laughs> Um, well, you know, based on the the performances, Jaime Garcia would be the one to either lose his job or get moved to the bullpen. Uh, but I'm not sure if that's going to be the case. I know on I was listening to the radio today, and Ben Nicholson said his sense was that he thought Sam Gavilio would move to the bullpen uh, to accommodate Stroman's return. So that if that's the way the team's leaning, uh, it, we might have to watch another start of stretch of ugly starts before Garcia figures it out. Yeah. And, you know, we're, I think this is something we should, we're going to talk about some of the trade stuff um, next, but I think Jaime Garcia is going to really play into that because, you know, they're going to need people to make starts, right? Yep. Yeah. You know, like they, they're going to have to, you know, you're not getting anything for Jaime Garcia would be my, my guess. He's just been awful. I mean, he's always over six. And he's not getting the ground balls that were his calling card for his entire career. So I think that by having him in there and you're not know, sending him to the pen and they have Gabilia go back and work as the long man that he was doing before, it allows you to put them both into the rotation once they ship some guys out. Yeah, right. it's a sad thought, but I think you're right. I think, you know, you, you, you need five starters um, and you don't necessarily want to start the service clock on like Barucky. Um so there you go. You, I still, any guy with a six ERA is kind of cringy every time I think about him <laughs> taking another turn in the rotation. Well, Did he get through three? Sam full? Gavilio will get lots of work as the long man then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like starter by proxy. Um, and no, he didn't get through four. That's why I made that joke on Twitter that the Jays almost averaged six innings with their last two starts. <laughs> when Hap, when Hap almost went nine. <laughs> Oh, well, there, there was that string of quality starts, but you, you, you can't have everything when you're uh, not the Red Sox or the uh, or the Yankees, as it were. Um, of course, the, the other question comes is, is Stroman going to be any good? Because he certainly wasn't any good before he went on the disabled list. Yeah, I mean, I think that we've, we, we've talked about this before, that Stroman is just going to be up and down unless he changes something in his contact profile, because... You know, as a ground ball pitcher who gives up a lot of contact, you're just sort of at the mercy of your defense and luck. Right. I I mean, I would say that even with his profile, I'd say he's a true talent, you know, high threes to low fours ERA pitcher. Like, he's not going to get shelled like he was getting shelled the first part of the season. That's that's even even Stroman as he's he exists now with his current contact profile. He's not that bad. No, no, but just, just sort of the, you know, like basically the difference between 2016 and 17, right? One was a four and a half-ish ERA, one was three. And he can really be anywhere in between those, and it wouldn't be a shock. Exactly, yeah. Indeed. So uh, the Blue Jays are either going to buy or sell, and it, it sounds like they have some things worth selling. Um, I assume, gentlemen, we are all in agreement that sell is the uh, reasonable option here the logical thing to do yeah yeah 
So the two names that I keep hearing and seeing in print, uh, which I will start with, are J-Hap and Ryan Tapera. So I will I will put it to you, Josh. What do you think uh, the chances are of both of those guys getting traded? And what do you think both of those, either of those guys might bring back individually? So I was saying 75% for both because I think it's 100% that J-Hap's going to get traded. <laughs> well, he just absolutely yeah. should. And 50% for Tapera. Because the the thing that makes Tapera interesting is he's a good reliever. He's not a great one, but he's controllable through 2021 and hasn't hit arbitration yet. So a team can add him while not really increasing payroll, which is a big thing for a lot of teams at the deadline. So, you know, as for what they can bring back, we're talking about the best pitcher on the market. You know, the Cole Hamels and Tyson Ross are fine, but they're not J-Hap. They don't have the J-Hap's uh, track record right now of recent performance or his health. So I think you could be looking at, you know, a very good return. I mean, like something like what we saw with you Darvish even last year from the uh, the Dodgers, where it's, you know, a legitimate top 100 major league ready prospect and someone else. And I think to Perry, you're looking at a good return too if he's traded because of the control. Any thoughts really? on that, Nick? I'm I'm surprised to to hear you think that we could get that much for uh, for Jay Happ. I mean, I'd, I'd personally be thrilled if the Jays could get somebody like Willie Calhoun back for Happ. Um, it's I know this year it's it seems like it's quite the seller's market. Even the wild card races seem like they're almost already locked up. There's so, so many teams then. rebuilding. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's a buyer's market. Like, there's so many teams rebuilding and so few teams with a legitimate shot at the playoffs. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be thrilled if they could get that return. But um, the reason know. I – sorry, not to interrupt you there. But the reason no, that I think that it could still happen is because unlike – let's say if you asked me about this for Josh Donaldson, I would say that not even close. But all of these teams – or almost all of them can use another very good starter for those playoff pushes. And that's where right. the difference in value comes in or, or an elite reliever or a very solid reliever. So there will be a bit of a, a fight for Jay Happ, or at least there should be among those teams, you know, the 10 or 11 teams that are fighting for playoff spots. Right. I think even you can look at Jay Happ as a guy who will give you quality starts in the playoffs. He's not like a, a right. That's what I meant. Yeah. Like not just playoff push, but, once you get into the playoffs, he's not the guy you drop out of the rotation at the back end. Zon, which I think is what you were trying to say. Yeah, that's the sort of just like they can all use boosts to their postseason rotations, there which or, you know to help them get there and to help them win. Um, right. I guess the, the what other wild cards, Nick, do you see in as potential trade chips? Of course, because Happ and Tapera are are kind of the obvious ones. Right, I know we we're talking about. A bit earlier but you know potentially Granderson or Pierce could be you know a nice bench bat for somebody looking to contend um, aside from those two guys I know I know that Stroman and Sanchez their names have been kind of bandied about if you want to blow up the whole thing I'd personally not want to do that if I was in charge just given that I think Stroman and Sanchez's values aren't very high right now and and again, it does seem to be a, a buyer's market just in terms of the number of teams looking to acquire pitching. So I think to me, those are the other attractive pieces on on this Jays team. 
we can't polish up camo anymore than we have right that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this is the sort of thing i was getting at before with jaime garcia right you know when he's gonna think who's gonna pitch i think that if they get an offer at all for axford oh clippard they gotta take it right oh yeah, yeah. for sure Agreed. so so this team could look very very different on august 1st and and we were talking about that thing, like who who plays where with Pierce back. I think you're right. One of those guys is going to be dealt. Yeah. But do you think that there's a going to be a market for guys like, oh, and Axford, there's a lot of good relievers on bad teams, whether it's, you know, Kirby Yates and Brad Hand on the Padres, Rysel Glacius on the Reds. I mean, but you're talking about a very different different cost to acquire, right? Right. You know, if you want to get Tyler Clippard, you trade for a reliever prospect. Or if you want to get Brad Hand, it's costing you your best two guys. Right. So if you're just trying to add depth to your bullpen, those are the type of plays you can do. Like, you know, like Joe Smith last year, right? Joe Smith was better than them. But, you know, they got Pannone and uh, – oh, it's going to bug me the, – the middle infielder. But – you know, it didn't seem like a big return, but it was at least useful prospects. And I think that they have to look to do something like that because they're not offering any value to this team as pending free agents. Well, do you think they could get that, though? Because I don't think that the return the Nationals sent to Kansas City was particularly great for Herrera. There was no one in but that's the top Herrera 10, that's because Herrera had $4 right? million on his contract. Didn't – I they, didn't Washington they took it. keep no. – Oh, okay. Washington took it yeah. all. Yeah, $4.4 million went on to Washington's coffers, which, you know, that was the trade-off, right? And the Jays, as we've seen from them do last year, and I think we'll see them do this year, they'll eat money if it means getting a better return. Right. Because, well, you know, they have their budget for this year, and they're going to spend it. If they don't spend it, it's not like they're getting it back for next year. Yeah. Well, that that's a competitive advantage they might have over some other selling teams. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so... This actually sort of leads me to think that the other guy that could be bandied about, Kevin Pillar. Yeah. Just, I mean, he looks a lot don't. better as a as a fourth outfielder on a on a great team where, you know, he can come in, play all three outfield positions, he can make contact, uh, <laughs> if nothing <Yeah>. else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you you talked about how like, the idea of him like being a ten- potential non-tender candidate that because he doesn't fit with. You know the next good Blue Jays team. Uh, that means sort of the situation that makes him a really good trade candidate because, you know, there might be some team that still thinks he's a good defensive center fielder and the guy they can use is the backup, you know, fourth outfielder who can they can stick in center, and will give you something because if you're just going to let him go for nothing, it's the same idea as those relievers. You know, get some guys that can be warm bodies for you because we've seen how much this team needs just general depth. And if there's yeah. any doubt about that, someone did sign Ryan Goins and still employs him after the Blue Jays <laughs> let him go. Yeah. Well, Kevin Pillar could be, I remember last year, the Astros acquired Cameron Maben in, uh, was it July or August? But, you know, he, he could be this year's Maben where he just kind of fits in as the supporting outfielder, the fourth outfielder on a, on a good team. Mm-hmm. All right. Last thing, and I don't think this is going to be affected necessarily by the trade market, but we have a catcher in AAA for once banging on the door, Danny Jansen, and two underperforming catchers at the major league level, one tied to a massive contract, and the other is just Luke Melee and has been slowly tumbling back to earth from the heights which he started the season on. What... 
what gives here uh, first, I guess, is what I'm thinking, Josh. It's kind of a tough question. Um, I think that some of this will get answered by what they do at the deadline, who moves out, and what positions are still left to fill. Because I I could see them going with this super utility Martin and bringing Jansen up. I think they do want Martin on the team with Jansen as a mentor. And, uh, you know, we we people scoff at that, but Martin has been one of the better defensive catchers in the game for most of his career. He's obviously on the downswing now. But if there's someone you want your young guy to learn from, it's him. Fair enough. The the super utility Martin is still a hilarious concept for me. Yeah, it is. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but but we've got Gio or Shayla on the team, so... Mm, eh. <laughs> is he still on the roster? Jeez. <laughs> but, well, I mean, yeah, like you mentioned, Maley, right, in his last 15 starts is hitting 122 with a 246 on base and a 224 slugging. So if he keeps doing that, then the other option would be just to get rid of Luke Maley and call up Danny Jansen. Or you yep. try to trade Luke Maley to some team that need, desperately needs catching and just hope they just look at his career and his season numbers. <laughs> and, and you play um, you play Jansen as your everyday quote-unquote catcher and give Martin the extra, extra rest he apparently really needs. Yeah. Could, it could happen. We don't know. We yeah, I don't think it's unrealistic it's just too logical for the Blue Jays to do. Somebody could get hurt. That's the other thing. I mean, Russ Martin has been on the DL, I think the last, at least at some point in the last three years, every year. No. So that could be an opportunity for Jansen to come up without having to reshuffle the roster in any kind of meaningful way too. Like the old, I wonder if they do that though. Like the old Russell Peters routine, somebody going to get hurt real bad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but unless let's say unless he does get hurt real bad, I don't know if they want to bring up Jansen for a week and send them down. Yeah, we shall see. Uh, we mm-hmm. shall answer your questions in a couple of minutes. So we're going to come right back with that. And after a little breather, we have returned. And, of course, when we return to answer your questions, we pretty much get right down to it. So I'm going to hit it now. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? And our first question is from Colleen Evans at Colleen Evans 6. Our most consistent questioner probably at the moment. She says, Mark DeRosa today was talking about Hap's improved fastball command. How do pitchers improve their fastball command? Is it something that all pitchers can aim to do, Josh? I mean, the answer is yes. All pitchers can aim to do it. As for how, the biggest reason is... is improving your mechanics so that you get a consistent release point. That's the thing that basically sinks most pitchers. Now, that's not as easy as I made it sound. You know, there are a bunch of things that can go wrong, and athleticism creates ceilings in repeatability, which is why people always look for athletic pitchers. Even you hear this, pitchers aren't athletes, garbage. (laughs) In the case of Jay Happ specifically, when he went to Pittsburgh with renowned pitching coach Ray Searage, Searage tweaked his delivery and uh, by uh, changing his stride, by making it more direct towards the plate because his body was a little off center. And when he did that, he started. He found that he started throwing more strikes. And then he combined that with 
the movement he gets on his fastball when he came to Toronto to get this, you know, this massive difference in uh, for in vertical movement, which I've talked about a few times. So that was his mechanical and then pitch mix adjustment, which both actually helped the performance and the command by throwing to them and throwing so often. But there isn't a Ray Searage hiding around every corner, is there? No, and and as I mentioned, like it's a lot easier said than done. I mean, you have to identify a very specific problem, right? You can't just say fix your mechanics, and then they have to be able to fix it, which is you know, also not easy. All I'm right. curious to know, Josh, before before we move on, really quick. I know that like kind of with the launch angle revolution in, in hitting, that I know a lot of pitchers have started throwing more high fastballs to kind of counteract the. The hitters trying to elevate the ball and Hap seemed to be at least earlier on this year doing that as well is is some of his success not the fact that his command is better but also he's he's basically elevating to um, avoid hitters getting under the ball and hitting as many homers and doubles and things like that too uh, i think that that's at least a something of a confirmation bias he's been doing that the last couple of years okay when he when he throws four seamers he throws them up in the zone right and he throws more four seamers than any other pitch. So I, I think that it's just it, it sort of fits with the profile profile of what you just mentioned, like more pitchers are doing it. So you notice it more, but he's actually been doing it ever since he went to Pittsburgh. Oh, Ray Searage. <laughs> Gotta got love him. All right. I have a question much more up your alley, Nick, I think, uh, from uh, at Bo Bichette, whose name is Quinn, but we'll figure that out one day. Uh, would you rather suffer with 162 Facebook only broadcasts of 162 or sorry or 162 games with just Pat Tabler doing the commentary right well I'm gonna give an unpopular opinion and say neither the Facebook games or Pat Tabler bother me as much as I think they bother the average Blue Jay fan um, I've kind of grown to the, to love Pat's Midwestern Ohio drawl and um as much as he's off base with some of his comments, I've kind of got I've got a big amount of rope for guys who have to talk nonstop on TV for three and a half hours a night all summer. Uh, so I don't mind Pat that much. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not saying he's the the greatest. This is the most politician ever. answer ever. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather A or B? Oh, okay, A or B. Um, you know what? I'll say just I'd rather listen to tabby just because facebook i think as a company is pretty and does a lot of not great stuff that's come out in the news in the last you know year and we're there's probably tons more that are is behavior that they're doing so i'd rather listen to, to tabby how's that, that for not bleeps for greg in that answer <laughs> greg greg's madly scribbling where what what uh, file he's got to get the beat machine out of uh <laughs> <laughs> I had to get off the fence, so I wanted to, yeah, to do got, it in great fashion. Got off fashion. the fence and into the gutter. <laughs> to me, the answer is the latter. Pat Tabler for two reasons. One, the Facebook ones are just there's too much on the screen. It's just it. I just want to see the game. But also, with there's two things. One, you can mute the commentary if you really don't like Tabler. But also, half of what Tabler says is just a repeat of what Buck Martinez says. You know. So if he's doing it by himself, he'll just be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody to feed him anything. Uh, I would rather listen to Tabby only because the Facebook games are only available on Facebook. And I think that might be the stupidest exclusive marketing deal ever struck in the history of stupid marketing deals. Like, why? 
I mean, I, or sorry, I, I can't watch them anywhere. I can listen to them on the radio, which is what I would be doing if there were 162 Facebook games. Right. I, I will say, if, in defense of the marketing angle with Facebook, is the one thing Facebook is that a lot of other outlets are not is free. And so I know kind of people from our generation are used to having cable, but I think for a lot of young people, uh, that might be a way for them to watch games that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise. I don't know. <laughs> Next question <laughs> is Kate Stanwick at OK Stan. Uh, between Gavilio and Garcia, who should retain the fifth starter role now that Strowman is back? Uh, we did talk about this, Josh. Basically, I, I think we we answered what what is going to happen. What should happen? I think the answer is what what should happen is what's going to. Where it's Gavilio goes to the pen and Garcia goes, you know, in the in rotation. Jays aren't going anywhere, right? Just let Kaime Garcia pitch, and then at least you have a guy you know can come in and help get you through to the end of a game if one of the other guys gets bounced out early. Fair enough. Uh, last question from Alex Hume at ahume92. Where did Sanchez's curveball go? He seems to be intentionally avoiding it. I feel odd asking this off the start he just had, but would he be better served as a 100 uh, reliever inning. Go- inning reliever going forward? Um, wow, I'll take this one because, you know, Sanchez is my guy. Uh, number one, I am 99% convinced that he is still worried that the curveball will aggravate his blister far more than the changeup, and he's had good results with the changeup. So, yes, I think he is intentionally avoiding it, which is a shame because I, I, although he did crack it out, was it two starts ago he brought it out more? Um, but my, I, I really liked hammers and bullets, and he was only a two-pitch pitcher with the curveball. So uh, would he be better served as a... 100 inning reliever I don't think so first of all I don't think anyone will will go down that road with any regularity because it's probably more wear and tear from a team's perspective not that it wouldn't be fun but 200 innings of of, of him is better as a starter yeah And, and just to clear up some little misconception there so he was seven curveballs seven curveballs 13 then eight in his first four starts then it was three three and two since that two curveball start against tampa on may 5th he's been in double digits curveballs thrown in six of his eight starts and the other two were eight and seven so i don't think he's actually avoiding as much as he as it seems he's just not using as much as he did last year because he has a viable third pitch now yeah, so that changeup is much easier to get is to lean on and get results with. So, I I think uh, <clears throat> yeah, it it doesn't doesn't put pressure on his finger the way that the curveball does. I believe there was an article specifically where he mentioned that. And now I yeah, don't remember did. where I read it. So yeah, it it's a couple of things for sure. All right, so that concludes the questions portion of our program, which means that we get to get to the. Drumroll, please. First ever Brian A. Jackpot. Hmm, that's satisfying. What is the Brian A. Jackpot? <laughs> um, we are going to award the Brian A. Jackpot uh, to whoever, and this person will probably remain anonymous forever because if they come out, they're going to be in big trouble. Whoever released the video of Tom Hallion talking to both Noah Syndergaard and Terry Collins after... Uh, Syndergaard tried to hit Chase Utley several months after Utley broke the leg of um, which teammate was it? 
Tejada? Yes, of, of Tejada at second base in the, in the previous playoffs. First of all, um, I think the fact that we found out that the umpire's agreement says that if it's not used during the game broadcast, that the video and audio is supposed to be deleted, that might be the most disappointing thing I've ever heard because it means our, our odds of getting another one of these videos are super low, and I was terribly entertained. Were you entertained, Josh? It was awesome. I love hearing how the umpire tr- attempted to defuse that situation. Like he's saying, "Look, I understand it, I get it, but you know, it's like I, I have to do this. This is the way it is. Like, just like, what do you, what can you say to that? <laughs> I mean, it's like, look, it's out of my hands. What do you want to argue? But the best part is that's not what he said. He he taught me a brand new phrase. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> I figured I would leave it for you. He, I, I am amazed that not knowing what this phrase was out of context that as soon as he said it i understood exactly what he meant because he was so animated he turns to terry collins well first he tells noah Syndergaard, if i don't do something right there our ass is in the jackpot which obviously means exactly what you you said if we don't do something we are responsible for whatever happens as a result of that, and we're going to take the blame for it. I don't know how he conveyed that much meaning by repeating that phrase like three times. <laughs> Apparently, he did not make that phrase up. Did you know that, Nick? Uh, I've heard jackpot before as kind of to indicate a, a difficult situation or, or a problem. So, But the ass is in the jackpot. I, I hadn't heard that full <laughs> phrase before. Someone found it on a TV show. I can't remember if it was The Wire or if it was... Oh, no, it's, it sounds like something from, like, Justified or something said in Kentucky uh, would no, be my it, guess. It, it was from a cop show because um, he was talking about someone from Internal Affairs ratting someone else out. Um, and and that's, where, that's where they found the phrase. Now, obviously, I don't know if Tom Hallian's a fan, but he did definitely take that idea to heart. <laughs> I, I'd say I have to give it to Tom Hallian. You know, I... I'm always frustrated with umps acting overly aggressively or, you know, making it about themselves. But hearing what Hallian had to say to everybody in that situation, I do think he handled it well. And, you know, kind of not like a lot of the um behavior that I think we're used to seeing as baseball fans. Yeah, I think in the situation, he was trying to acknowledge that he knew and everybody knew what the context of him, of Syndergaard trying to hit Utley was. And that pretending that that, that that context didn't exist just because it wasn't said out loud was ridiculous. That everybody in the ballpark knew that Chase Utley yeah. had a target on him. And that, and also, you know, Terry Collins is screaming at him, we need our shot, um, and throwing in some profanity in there. And, and Hallian says, that was it. That was your shot. You missed him? Like... Syndergaard didn't hit him there. I, it gets worse if I don't do something right now. And he's absolutely right, because that's what we see happening when there aren't ejections right away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it was, it was cool. And and we'll never see it again. <laughs> well, obviously, <laughs> if, if, if one uh, audio slipped through somewhere, uh, that means not everybody is erasing them every time immediately after the game. So it does leave a tiny little crack in the door open for something really interesting to come out. Uh, but I don't know if that person wants to risk their job, which apparently is what might be on the line now if they ever figure out who did that. Yeah. All right. Hopefully they don't. <laughs> so that brings us 
to the part of the uh, the podcast where I ask for a final thought. Uh, because Josh is generally more prepared for me to ask for a final thought, I will ask you first, Josh. Do you have one tonight? I do. So I actually ran into Nick at this game, which was nice to see. Um, this was a, a thing that came up in the Nationals Jays uh, finale on, on Father's Day. Justin Miller was facing Randall Grichuk, and it was one of those examples of where you know with the thing we don't think about too much when you're watching a game if you're not a pitcher or someone like me is the pitch sequencing randall grichuk hit a game tying actually no it was a it was a go-ahead single off justin miller in the seventh inning of that game and it was one of those ones where i just couldn't believe what i'd just seen it was he, he was late on about seven straight fastballs fouling them back and then miller decided to throw a hanging slider and he whacked it to center and it's just i i, I would love to see a real breakdown of sequencing and how what kind of order of pitches are leading to hits because in that situation i remember turning to my friend like he better not for his sake he should be better not throw a slider because he'll you know it'll speed up his bat and he'll whack it and it's exactly what happened so i, I would love to do that myself <laughs> the capacity but i hope someone with more you know research ability than me does that because i think it would be really really interesting I think it would be interesting too. It reminds me of some of my what at bat posts that I, I had done in the past mm -hmm. where, where certain times there were strategic situations where the pitcher was, was unable or unwilling to throw a specific pitch and the batter was aware of that. And it changed the at bat for sure. Um, Nick, final thought. Yeah. Um, for me, I know the last time that I was on with you guys, uh, was just before pride night. And I went to the game, had a great time, uh, but I didn't show up early enough to, to get one of the hats. So anyway, I was, as Josh said, at the game this Sunday, I ran into him and I thought, oh, I should grab one of those pride hats. Um, basically, for those of you who didn't see it, it's just a black Blue Jays hat with the logo as rainbow colors. And so I looked at about three different places at the Rogers Center and they didn't have them, um, which to me, is kind of surprising given that there's literally Blue Jays hats with like every odd combination of colors under the sun. Um, you know, from like camo to all black and just a bunch of like, there's gray ones. I think, I think they'd be a big hit if they were available to, to buy either at the, at the game or online. And yeah, I'd, I'd recommend the, the Jays doing that. They're, they were good looking hats and obviously there's, uh, you know, some underlying social significance and importance too. So yeah, Blue Jays, my final thought is uh, make those pride hats available year round. Seems like a reasonable thing for them to do. Well, like you said, with a million hats out there, what harm in having yeah. the rainbow hat available more? No, I'll, I was ready to buy one. <laughs> All right, there's one sale right away. Um, yeah. So uh, my fun thought is that uh, Candace Morales, uh, though... Uh, he has not had the greatest year. He did hit a home run on his birthday this year. And I think probably the best present a guy can give himself is a home run on his birthday. Kendris has apparently done that four times in his career, which tells <laughs> me uh, he's playing on his birthday next year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I would uh, like to urge all of you to swing on by www.patreon.com slash turfpod. Uh, check out what's going on uh, you may even figure out why that was named the Brian A. Jackpot if you uh, read some of the descriptions of, of the awards you can get for donating uh, that said this was Artificial Turf Awards episode number 106 I was Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010 and joined by 
Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and Nick Dyker at Nick Dyker. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk at you next week.